Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Growth Show, where we talk about all components of business and how to utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Aiden Cassiotis. I'm a serial entrepreneur, international speaker, results strategist, business coach, mentor, and consultant. After over 14 years of being in business and running multiple companies, I felt called to start this show. I see many people struggling to start or grow a business, which is why I want to help entrepreneurs achieve success in business quicker, more effectively, and sustainably. Today, I have an awesome guest. She's a business coach, consultant, international speaker, author, leader, and CEO. If you're looking at achieving greater levels of performance and success, look no further. She has extensive experience in transforming organizations and effective positive and measurable change. Welcome, Christine Nielsen, and thank you for being on my show. That was such a great, powerful introduction. Can you do it again? <laughs> I uh, love it. Thank you for having me today. It's really a pleasure to be here. Yeah. You just make me feel happy of, of, of listening to you. I love it. Yeah. Awesome, Christine. It's so amazing to have you on the show today. And thank you for your thoughts on, on the intro. I aim to, to impact people in, in whichever way I can and, and, you know, bring people along the, the path with me as well. And, you know, like yourself to, to share some awesome value. So, you know, you're a very successful entrepreneur. So for those people who don't know who you are, please introduce yourself by telling us more about you and your journey. Sure. I am a master coach. I have been consulting, coaching, speaking, for over 27 years. Don't do the math. I'm only 39. <laughs> <laughs> Those are Canadian years. We go slower. Uh, I live in Canada. I live in Toronto. I'm also a mother of three children. Uh, I'm a former competitive hockey player. And why that's important, we'll get into that journey a little bit later on. But we'll talk a lot about how sports has influenced my own journey and my career. And it's been a roller coaster. I'm not, I'm not going to say it's been an, like all smooth sailing. You know, I became an entrepreneur when I was 24 years old. I was in the pharmaceutical industry uh, right out of university, and I was selling pharmaceutical products, specifically in diabetes and cardiovascular care. And the company that I worked with at the time, I was one of the top reps, and they hired this transformational coach to come in and talk to us about you know, changing perceptions and changing the way the marketplace attitudes work. I had no idea what a transformational coach was. I just remember I'm 21, I'm one of the top selling reps in the company, and I'm sitting there and I went, this is not my seat. That's my seat. So after the programs were over, after the three-day transformational program on sales and, and business, I went and I asked him, how do I do this? How do I do what you do? And he showed me exactly what I needed to do. And by the time I was 24, I was one of the youngest program leaders for a public company, leading seminars, helping people shift, you know, what's happening, change their story, rewire and rewrite it so that they could live a future that they designed by, by choice versus by default. And I was doing that. And there was someone in my seminar and he came to me and he said, do you think you could do this in my company? And I had been looking for ways to start to monetize on these skills of leading programs and coaching and consulting. And I said, yes, of course I can. So I, I asked him, well, what's your company? And it turns out that my first entrepreneurial experience was with one of the largest telecommunications companies here in Toronto in Canada. So that's how I started. Yeah. That's my entrepreneurial journey. 
Yeah, that's amazing. That's an amazing story. And, and I think that's, that's a testament to a lot of people where, um, you know, in business and in life, there's a lot of opportunities that come our way, right? And you got to see, okay, that looks interesting. And what comes my way? Okay, how do I position myself? How do I put myself in those situations where I can learn from them or, you know, find out what I'm passionate about, what, you know, what, what's purposeful to me and everything like that. So that's a really amazing um, story there of how that came about. Um, and, you know, and business is, is a very interesting beast, so to speak. Um, you know, there's a lot of different, you know, components and elements to that. So, so what do you think, um, you know, are the most important and why? What are the most important elements of business? <clears throat> uh, there's a lot. The first piece that you touched on is the purpose. So what is the purpose of the business? You know, who do you serve? Why are you in business? And if you know the purpose of your business, it's very easy to have the rest of the particles fall in place. So when I shared that story with you, one of the things I knew from a very young age is that my life mattered and I was here to make a difference. My job was to find out how. So I've always known my purpose. I haven't always known how to fulfill that purpose. And that's the role of an entrepreneur. We're really like scientists experimenting on as long as you know what that purpose that you're fulfilling on, if it's to make a difference, what impact are you making? What results can you produce? How can you edge or move something forward that other people said that can't be done? If you have some kind of a purpose in mind and you execute on that purpose, it actually is much easier. A lot of entrepreneurs today though are struggling with what is their purpose? A lot of business owners, they're in the middle of this worldwide pandemic and global crisis. And there's also an identity crisis. Who am I now? What do I really stand for? What's the purpose that my company so serves and what problems do we solve? So that's the, probably the most fundamental piece of a business is understanding what purpose does the business serve? Why are you in business? And that made my journey as an entrepreneur a lot easier. Even when there was roller coaster rides and I was bought and I was sold and lots of fun, exciting things happened inside of that, I always knew my purpose. Yeah, that's it's such an amazing point, and you know I completely agree with you. You know, a lot of people that I work with as well, and and I see that people just get into business because they get into business, whether or not they learned from their parents, whether or not they thought, Oh, it'd be fun to start a business or maybe they, you know, they bought a program or a course or something off somebody and, you know, and they're just like, Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they, they just fall into it. And then it's like, Oh, you know, um, and what am I doing? Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm here to make money and do all this sort of stuff. And they've got this like hole inside of them and going, what am I actually doing? Or it's not working. And they're wondering why it's not working. And, yeah, it, it's so powerful, um, you know, when you um, strip back those fundamentals and go, okay, and then you, you build it from the ground up because, you know, it, it's very difficult to, to grow and scale a business with people, which is very important, right? When you don't have that as well, right? Well, if you don't have your purpose, then you have nothing to enroll people into. So your whole job as the CEO of a company, as the entrepreneur, is you're either enrolling customers into the products that you, serve, that, you so, that you sell, you're enrolling people to come and work for you because you've got this great vision and they can find themselves inside of that. But without that, what are you enrolling them into? If it's all about chasing the money, we know what happens. You know, we know the statistics on why entrepreneurial businesses fail. 
they either have really great ideas and they're chasing the money or they don't have great ideas and they can't get lift off and it's a me too type of product. Because people do think being an entrepreneur is easy and I have to tell you, you gotta be crazy if you're gonna be an entrepreneur. It's a 24 seven job. And there will come a point where you're actually able to have more balance inside of that equation. But in the beginning, you'll find yourself rolling up your sleeves, doing things and digging in to things that you didn't want to do, but you're the owner of the business. So it's your job. Yeah. So, so amazing points. And, you know, we've all been through it, like, you know, myself as well. And people think, ah, oh, business will be easy and everything like that. But, you know, it's, it's not like you have a wage and you have, you know, this constant money every month, right? Especially when you start. Um, and I think that's a key thing about business is cash flow, um, you know, it, it can be sporadic. So you have to be able to be creative is probably the best word and saying, okay, how can I ensure that I can, um, you know, grow the business, have enough cash flow to, you know, pay all my expenses, pay myself enough so that I can live, but then also, you know, pay my employees as you grow as well. And that's where, you know, these ongoing revenue type contracts or models, um, you know, become more, you know, advantageous and opportunistic because um, it helps you to do that. Not every business is like that though, um, you know, or there's a, there's a combination of both where you sort of do some that are projects and some that are, are like that. So it really depends on the type of business, but you have to look at how can you create that long-term or even loyalty, I guess, part of the business where people love to come back to you um, and, and that probably comes down to a, to a branding point of view as well, right? With um, what you sort of put out there with people and how do people connect with your business? So even if you don't have a business that can just be a you know, subscription model, for example, but you have to, to sell individual things, it's like, well, why do people come to you then if they, you know, you want to make them keep coming back yeah. as well? And, and again, you can tie it to brand. You can tie it to the purpose and the vision of your company because when people understand what's at the core and how important certain things are for your company and your business, how you serve them, what differentiates you in the market, that's your brand. So you're taking what is at the essence and the core, the values, and you're having that be expressed as the brand of the organization. And when it's off brand, people know because they can tell that they went to McDonald's and they asked for Big Mac it will be a Big Mac at every single McDonald's because that is the brand of McDonald's. But if you go to a hamburger place where they do it your way, it's going to be different every single time. And so that's the brand of that company. So you want to notice that your brand is that self-expression. It is bringing into the world how you solve problems and what you're doing for people with the values that you have. It's really important. Yeah, definitely. No, awesome points there. And, um, you know, and if we touch a little bit more on maybe the leadership and culture part of a business where um, a lot of people sort of don't think of it any, you know, and, you know, I, I think it's, it has to be thought about really at the start of a business as well, um, let alone, you know, and, but it become more of a challenge as, as the business is growing as well. Right. Depending on if, you know, purpose changes, direction changes of businesses, depending on how long people have been there, if you want to make some big changes in the business, especially if people have, have been around for a while. So, so, you know, what do you see as the importance? What, what are the shifts that maybe need to change and how that sort of impacts businesses as well? Well, there's two schools of thought and I've been 
in the world of creating excellence and culture and leadership culture for a very long time. And people most of the time miss the mark because they think culture is something that you set and let. It's not. Your logo may never change. Your company culture needs to grow with the company. It needs to grow with the people and the people inside the organization who may not have started the company as a company of two, three, five people now have developed into a company of 200 people that the essence of that core, that brand value on inside it, while it needs to be consistent, it will morph and other people will find themselves inside of that company cultures that have strong values and that are constantly looking for ways to improve their engagement with their employees, improve their customer touch points, solve problems that they don't need to solve because their business will thrive without solving the problem, but they go that extra mile. Those company cultures are the ones that you will find thriving and flourishing. Let's take, for example, when we talk about setting and letting it, if you're not evolving that company culture, how do you expect the people inside your company to grow and find themselves? And here's what people don't understand. The culture of your company creates the context and context is decisive. It allows for what's possible and not possible to happen in your business. And it's invisible. Most of the time we don't walk around going, well, the way, it, well, we do walk around saying this, the way it is around here. Well, you can't ask that question, you'll get this result. It can't be done. So you can hear how the company culture exists in how people speak about what's happening. When you have a powerful company culture, you won't hear things like that. You'll hear things like, that are challenging. You'll hear things like, why not? Let's try. How do you know? Fact or fiction. So that's where you can hear the difference between powerful company culture and culture that has been set and let because the way it is around here is always going to be that default position. And that is usually an uncultivated garden. It's an uncultivated company and it's probably ripe for the pickings. Yeah, uh, so true. Those, those amazing points. And, and I think that's what, um, you know, the values are really important of a business um, because those are the things that, you know, comes from the founders of the owners, you know, initially about why they start the business, but it also helps, you know, the um, staff to be able to go, okay, this is how we're meant to act. And it's like, in businesses these days, as you know, we need to be innovative. We need to be problem solvers. You know, it's not like, like you said, we don't want this, we can't be done attitude, right? It's like, how do we find a way? What do we need to do? That's the type of mentality you want your staff to have. Um, and that really needs to be part of those values. You know, it should be one of them, something like that, whatever that is, if it's innovation or something else, so that you can um, foster that. And then, you know, hopefully you can, you can set that at the start, but, you know, potentially you may have to, you know, include that. And then um, and it's sort of almost like a top-down approach because I think in my eyes, the roles of managers in business is to really, apart from managing KPIs, is to really drive the culture of a business because the staff down the bottom, it's like the managers understand the cult, you know, the values and everything. And they've got to make sure that, you know, everyone knows that. And then it sort of comes all the way down. And that's when you get a really fluid machine, so to speak, where everybody's on the same page. So, so actually I'd love to test that and unpack that a little bit with you hmm. because I actually suggest that while the top of the house may set the stage, 
the bottom of the house, where people really are touching the customers and really doing the work, that's your company culture. Hmm. And when you attend to and you have people that are in roles that are all the way through the organization and they're leading culture and they're leading changes and they're solving problems at any level. It doesn't matter what, what hero banner they wear or what title they have on their, on their office door or on their cubicle, but they're actually motivated to solve challenges inside the company. That creates the tone, the culture for your company. If you have a top-down approach, I suggest you're leaving it on the table. What you're leaving on the, on the table is the ability to empower people in your organization to drive the culture for you. You wanna hand that baton over where people are actually so immersed in how powerful your company is. Let's take Whole Foods, for example. Several years ago, Whole Foods, you have Whole Foods, yes? Uh, we haven't got it big in, the, in Australia, but I, I do know a lot of... Um, so Whole Foods, for instance, was yeah. purchased about three, three years ago by Amazon. Yep. But when Whole Foods started, the culture of Whole Foods was to be disruptive in the market of um, how people shop for groceries and what people put into their bodies. It was about health. It was about locally grown produce. And there were things that they created that they wanted to keep as their culture. And then Amazon purchased them. So how do you take this Amazon culture and this Whole Foods culture and not lose anything? You need it to be a win-win-win situation. So what you want to look at is what are the best parts of the culture at Whole Foods that really make it Whole Foods that the customers that they have identify with that? And what are the parts that Amazon could benefit? They could keep some, take some of those parts of the Amazon culture and elevate that. So you want to allow yourself to reinvent that culture after you've had a big shift in your business like that. It's no different whether you're a big company or you're a small company and perhaps you've done a merger or you're buying you know, something else or you're adding a new business into your company culture. You want to attend to what is it that is the most important things that drive our business and that are really fundamental to the purpose and the values of this company. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's such an amazing outlook. And uh, like, how, how would you do that? Is that something like, I don't know, having meetings or trying to sort of, how, do you, how would you extract that, I guess, from, um, from that new business? So consciously. So you really have to invent it. Yeah. Often what happens for companies is, you know, especially in a merger and acquisition situation, the dominating culture prevails. And if you let that happen, you've left valuation on the table. What you bought, you turned into something that you didn't want. So I strongly recommend when you're in, and that's specific to a merger and acquisition, you know, like the sizes of the Amazons and the Whole Foods, but there's going to be a lot of M&A post COVID. There are going to be smaller businesses that are ripe for being purchased by larger companies. And what you wanna do in those situations is look to see Instead of having it default to the culture of, you know, the one who got bought wins, because that creates rife, it creates, you lose the assets of the company, which you're buying the people, you're buying the intellectual property, you're buying their ability to generate revenue, you're buying their ability to think powerfully. So why would you want to change that? What's working about that culture that really added to the company value, that added to the valuation model that then you can actually take and grow that business 
and actually maybe propel your own current culture. So you want to reinvent those cultures into something new. You're creating a new company in that particular instance. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. So you ask, do you do it through meetings? To a degree you do. You do it mostly by listening. So one of the biggest um, tools that any leader in any company has is your listening. And it's not listening like you and I would think, oh, I hear you talking, I'm listening to you. It's listening for what's possible in the company. Listening for what do people want? What is it that we're up for and that we're creating powerfully? And where are things getting derailed? What's in the way? What's getting in the way of someone really doing their job? And when you listen for those kinds of things, the culture of the company is really easy to be um, to change and to and to solve. It can really drive a lot. Yeah, I love that. Um, so it's you know the way I sort of unpack that is that it's it's asking a few key questions, but then just asking the question, and then just listening and just seeing wh what comes out of um, you know the people there and and being really receptive and um, looking at yeah how you can incorporate that. So that that's. Yeah, that's really awesome. Loved how you unpacked that, Christine. Um, and I guess, you know, from, from that aspect, when, you, when you've got all these people or, or you're trying to improve a business, um, data analytics is also, you know, very important, right? Because, um, you know, so, so change is, you know, measured and managed effectively, right? Um, so, so how do you help your clients with this and, and, and how do you focus on that? I love this question. So we actually have a data analytics in our company. So you can measure culture, you can measure change, you can measure innovation. All these things that years ago people thought, oh, these are soft skills. Well, those soft skills are actually what drive the heart and soul of the business. So understanding the gap between where you are today and what you want. And you're always creating a gap. If you're not creating a gap, what are you growing into? So you want to be the one that creates the gap rather than that gap gets created for you by the marketplace. So that's number one. But two, what you measure, you will attend to. So if you're, and be very careful about what you are measuring. Let's take the instance of the um, telecommunications company that I was talking about. One of the things that they were challenged by and that they measured was people's uh, time, of, time away from their desk and sick time. And so they had a lot of turnover. They had a lot of people calling in sick. People didn't want to come into work. What was really going on? And the culture inside of the company, they would send like threatening letters. Why aren't you on your desk? And, you know, you're supposed to be logging in on this time and this, da, da, da. And it was very draconian in spirit. And when they stopped doing that and they let people know, it's like, I'm so sorry you weren't able to join the team today. We missed you. I hope you're feeling better. People started showing back up to work they started sending and using communication tools like you matter and you're important to us. They sent flowers to their employees. They stopped measuring them on the amount of time that it took to resolve a client complaint and started rewarding them for the results that they produced on every client call. So what, what you're measuring is very important. So in our data analytics tools, we actually measure culture, we measure leadership, we measure the gap between where you are uh, we have over 360 touch points that you can measure in your business. Now, imagine having access to all that information. Information overload is a bit of a problem right now. 
So you get to say and design how things are going to go, what pivots you're going to attend to, and what you're not going to attend to. You have to prioritize things. If you go to tackle everything in your business, you're just spinning wheels. So you have to figure out what are the biggest priorities that I can attend to that will really make an impact in my business. And having that data in front of you and seeing how it's moved, did you make the right impact? So you want to measure it and then do the work that needs to get done to make the changes and then measure it again. Yeah, that's, um, that's really amazing. I loved um, those points that you, you said there. And um, I guess if we're talking it on a smaller level now, right, with the small and medium businesses, um, then what's sort of a good way for them to, to get into it or, or, you know, or to work with someone like you? And is it, is it something simple like an Excel spreadsheet where, you know, you measure numbers and things like that? Or, you know, is it um, more effective and, and better to have like, you know, sort of, you know, you hear a lot about, you know, dashboard systems and things like that, where you can visualize the data more and, and move it around. So what do you see as, um, you know, good ways to help the smaller businesses that maybe can't spend, you know, millions of dollars on, on big things yeah. like that, but can still get um, some awesome value to make decisions they need to make. So I'm a dashboard person. I like the visual. I want to know that I'm, you know, where are my numbers, but I don't want to see the Excel spreadsheets and have to shift, sift through it. Yes, I have a degree in economics and can I sit through a financial model and a revenue targets and, and all, of, you know, CapEx and OpEx? Yes, I can. But that doesn't tell me that the actions that you're taking on a daily basis are aligned with the vision of your company. And I want to know what actions are you taking that are going to get you further to your goals. So dashboards are critical. In my perspective, you also want to use tools that measure dynamic situations. So your business isn't static. It's not a growth model like this. Anybody tells you that your, your growth looks like that? It doesn't. It looks like this every day. Okay. It looks like a spreadsheet like that. So that's the way it's going. And if you, do, if you take any point in that and you make the wrong decision based on the wrong data, you might make a big mistake. So you really want to make sure that you understand what's important. So for a small business owner, what's the most important thing that they want to be measuring right now? Revenue is definitely one of them. Their profits, their, cost, their lead costs, cost to leads, how can, their customer acquisition cost, how much money does it take them to acquire a customer? So, and it depends on the, and the variables, their, their uh, sales cycle. Often people don't measure their sales cycle. So if it takes you three months or 90 days to close a large contract in your company, then you know that you're not getting revenue into your company while you're working in that 90 days on that. What are you doing to make sure that your pipeline is full and that you have good flow? It's the same with employees. Here's an example of digital agencies. There's a lot of digital companies that are working right now and I have several in my roster that I'm consulting to. They're, what will happen is they'll grow, 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 and they'll do all this business development. And then all of a sudden they have this holy sh moment. It's like, who's going to do the work? So now they got to go focus on employees and they forgot about building the revenue. So then they get, you know, they go get some new employees and then they didn't attend to the revenue lines. So it's a moving game. You want to have employee flow as well. So are you contract based? What's that cost look like? You're gonna measure all of those things. So that's how dashboards allow you to see the health and the wealth of your business. The other thing is don't set your dashboard and your targets on like day one of the year and not look at them until 
you know, halfway point, that won't make an impact for you. If you're not looking at your revenues, if you're not looking at how many sales you're going to do, you're not looking at what your leads are, not looking at your marketing, you're not looking at your people pipeline on a weekly basis and a daily basis, then you're not in charge of your business. Some, your business is char in charge of you. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. No, there's some, some amazing points there and, and things to look out for that I think, um, you know, a lot of people need to be wary and, um, you know, either work it out for themselves or come to people like yourself, right? Where, you know, you can help them to see how, how can, you know, how can we do this the best way for you? Um, and, and what are the key metrics? Cause as you know, every business is different. There's all, the fundamentals are the same in business, right? But at the same time, depending on the type of business, there's going to be certain key metrics as well that you want to measure over others that are, that are more important. So um, yeah, really awesome points there. And, you know, you've worked obviously in transformed very large organizations as well as, um, you know, small and medium type businesses. So, so what do you see as, I guess, the different challenges between them? Accountability. At the end of the day, the entrepreneur's butt is on the line. In a large organization, the whose butt is on the line are the, are the shareholders and the CEO. It's accountability. And why it's harder to transform larger companies is because there tends to be a lack of accountability and a lot of, you know, she done it, wasn't me. Whereas in a smaller entrepreneurial organization, if you drop the ball, it's really obvious that you missed it or you didn't get something done on time. So that's number one is, and I don't, and often coaches will use accountability like a whipping tool. Accountability isn't a whipping tool. It's the ability to account for what you said you were going to do, which we bring in the second piece of that is integrity. So in a small business, you want to ensure that the fundamental principles of integrity, meaning, you know, not integrity like morality and values or judgments, integrity like, did you keep your word? Did you deliver the results you promised on time? And if you didn't, what are you doing about that? How are you putting the integrity back in? And again, sometimes business owners and, and coaches who are fairly young or new at this, they use that as a way to kind of browbeat people. You know, I'll hold you to account for something. If that is what's going on, then what's missing is the culture. If you have to hit with a stick all the time in your business and people aren't doing what they said they were going to do, it's not necessarily the people, they haven't bought into the vision and they don't see their purpose inside of the company. So it comes back to culture. So accountability, integrity, and culture. Those are your primary drivers of any business of any size. Yeah, nah, so amazing points there. And, um, and, that, and that's really, you know, the power of coaching, right? And um, it's, um, it's, it's very interesting where, like you said, um, I think all humans, we naturally need accountability um, because, we, you know, it's easy to say you're going to do something, um, but, you know, life gets in the way, other priorities get in the way and, and things like that. So it's easy to sort of to yourself um, say that, you know, they're going, you know, uh, I've got a, uh, something, you know, kids or, uh, you know, this client thing, I've got to focus on that or, or, you know, something with family, who knows, right? And, and that's everyone, like th things pop up in life. Life is not perfect. Um, and, but it, it's, you know, it's proven from the studies that I've seen that if you have somebody to keep you accountable, um, yeah. that, and 
you're invested in that to some extent, you know, right? Where then, and you've got ongoing, you know, meetings or, or, you know, sessions or whatever it is with that person, then the chance of you being successful and actually achieving those things is like 90% plus um, up there. And, And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize about the power of, you know, coaching and mentoring is that. Well, um, let's talk about that. I think what you touched on is really important. And when, you know, as an entrepreneur, the first person you will break your word to is whom? Self. Yourself. So if you say to yourself, I'm going to get up and I'm going to work out today so that I have enough energy to get all the things that I have done to get done. And you hit the snooze button and you don't get up. Who did you break your word to? Yourself. So when you're running your business, if you have someone showing up at your door at 5.30 saying, let's go for the run, are you going for the run or not? You're going for the run. Somebody's at your door, you're going for the run. They're holding you to account. Well, that's what a coach does. They help you commit to the promises you said to get the results you want in your life. Not that I have the results in my life. I have five coaches. So there's a reason for that. I am unreliable in the matter of my word in certain areas. And I require someone to remind me of what it is that I said I wanted in the moments when I would rather be comfortable. Yeah, that's um, so powerful. Um, you know, the way that you said that there and, and I love it. And, and I love that you have, you know, five different coaches for certain areas because Sometimes you can find coaches that can do a lot of things like potentially like, let's say a business coach. There might be a business coach that can do a lot of stuff in business, which is great. Sometimes there's business coaches that only focus on sales or, you know, other things like that as well. Right. Um, so, you know, whatever that is, but then there's different areas of your life as well. Right. Where, um, you know, you may need that things. There's health coaches, maybe, you know, people aren't where they are at with their health and they need to, to fix that. Or, um, you know, mindset things obviously is a very big part of, of you know, of that as well. And, um, and I think maybe, you know, my, you know, maybe we, we talk about mindset for a second that, I, you know, that I've just brought it up where um, I think in business, I think, you know, the fundamentals of business are the, you know, are the, are the same and, and you've really got to understand them. Yes, things change over time and you've, and you've got to adapt and learn more. But um, I think you really need to understand those areas especially if you're the entrepreneur the business owner so that you you can succeed and yes you might get people in these areas but you need to understand them but i think the biggest thing that holds most people back is their mindset because you can teach 10 people the same thing whether or not it's from just a standard program or course from somebody whether or not it's a degree or an mba or or whatever like that but you're going to get 10 different results and and that comes down to you know the way they were brought up you know how much you know, resilience, determination, have they had any challenges they've had to overcome in their life? What are the stories that their parents have told them and the limiting beliefs that they've inherited, not necessarily on their own accord, um, as they've grown up as well, they need to overcome. So that, you know, that's also a really key part that a lot of people um, don't think about and and need to become aware of and and actually seek out and go, okay, what do I need to do to, you know, to change that? I love that you uh, opened it with mindset because your mind isn't set, it's dynamic. So as a, you know, a master coach, one of the things I dabble in is the neuroscience of your brain. How are we wired? 
And the wiring of human beings is different for each and every human being. So we're not, it's not plastic. You don't live with the same set of beliefs for your entire lifetime. You are informed by decisions, events, patterns of behavior that we inherited throughout our lifetime. And if you're unconscious to the decisions that you make, then that turns into the way it is or the way I am, or the way you are. Well, the moment we decide something like that about ourselves, it rules out and limits what's possible. Because what if that's not true? What if there's another way to look at it? So there's always pushing the you know, way to think and experience your thoughts. So our thoughts create our emotions, our emotions create a secondary thought which starts to create our belief patterns, our actions, all stem from those places. This stuff we know. This is kind of not, that's not rocket science. What we have learned in the last decade is that our thoughts and the patterns of behavior can change if we consciously attempt to shift those. It's one of the things that as I pivoted throughout uh, COVID, one of the pivots that I made, I didn't wanna just create another online course. I wanted to help entrepreneurs and business owners who are, who are currently challenged with some of the things that you just said you know, limited thinking, the belief in themselves, not having enough courage to follow their, their passion or their dreams, to ask for help, to create that business. Um, some of it is heightened levels of anxiety and the inability during those high times of stress to make powerful choices or focus on what they really want, creating that purpose, that vision, and sticking to that. So I launched BrainTap Coach during COVID, and BrainTap Coach is one of these programs where it is helping people to shift that neurology, to change the way we think. It's called brain entrainment, and it actually helps us to understand how those subconscious decisions create our reality and what to do about that so that you can have a new reality and a new future and different results in your life. That was a long answer to your question, but when people talk to me about mindset, it's not set, it's dynamic. Yeah. No, it's awesome, Christine, and I'm sure we could talk hours on it. Um, it's, you know, it's an amazing topic and there's so many different um, areas to it. And it's amazing that you, you know, you've created that program. It sounds really amazing with um, that because it is very needed. And um, a lot of people, you know, they go out and they think, oh, I'll go get an MBA. Like I, I just finished my MBA recently, right? And I, I didn't finish school, right? And I had to, you know, push myself because I couldn't study. You finish finished your MBA. Yeah, that's it, right? So... You know, which, which is awesome. Right? <laughs> Telling yourself that story. I didn't finish school. Actually, you just finished an MBA. That's not. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, I think at, at the time I wasn't focused. I couldn't study whatever the story I told myself. Right. But then I was like, OK, I have an outcome. This is my goal. I'm going to do whatever it takes you know, to make it happen because that, that, that's life and that's business, right? It's not all, you know, rainbows and butterflies, right? You're going you're gonna to have to push through certain things. And I knew that for me to be successful, whether or not I was going to be a senior manager in the business or whether or not I was going to have my own business, I knew that I wanted to learn those fundamentals of it, right? So that was really important for me. And, I, you know, I majored in some strategic management entrepreneurship stuff as well as I went on because that was more, you know, intriguing to me. But at the same time, um, you know, we build that mindset and other things, but just having that MBA or any other business course doesn't, you don't necessarily need a, you know, university education to be successful in business. If you can learn from people that 
are very successful in business, right? Because that's the real things, you know, and, and I pride myself in learning from both, like yourself, of course, where we look at, you know, successful business coaches and, and people that are successful that, that give us that. But at the same time, it's like you need to work on that mindset areas. How do I become aware of these things and what programs, what tools, what things can I do to do that? And it's a constant improvement. Like you're never going to have anything limiting you. That's, that's the, the beauty of it, so to speak. Um, because, yeah, it's, it's you know, like, like a lot of people say, you know, we need to constantly grow as humans. It's a, it's, it's a thing for us. Otherwise, we feel stale and we feel like, you know, what's our purpose in a way? What's our life purpose if we're not growing? Um, and, and that mindset actually helps us to grow. I see it as an opportunity. It's like, you know, become, you know, ingrained or enthralled in like, how can I, what do I need to do? What's holding me back? You know, like who can help me? Because And a lot of the time, we don't see it in ourselves. That's the other part as well. Like you, as you get better at it, you can start to see things, but you need somebody to prompt you or programs or whatever it is to ask you the specific questions or areas to focus on. And then you're like, ah, oh, this is what I'm doing or holding me back. And then giving you things to, to move forward, which is really powerful in those ways as well. I, I love what you said there. And there's a few things that I would, um, you know, really encourage people to look at. And having a growth mindset and constantly be um, striving to improve and to be impactful is really very fundamental and quite important until it's getting in the way. At some point, we cross the line on being satisfied and fulfilled because we're striving and we're pushing and it's got to be better, got to be harder, faster, smarter. And we miss certain fundamentals like being able to be present and being grateful for exactly where we are it, with all our warts, flaws, all the problems that we have and all of the greatness that we've created as well. If you can't be with the good and the bad, then the improvements will be much more challenging. And often people will grow because they're running away from something, you know, some pain point. It's like, well, I'll just go do this or I'll get shiny paint. Like I'll, I'll go after something else or that didn't work. That's not growth. That's escapism. And there's a difference between trying to escape and shift who you want to be and being, being satisfied, being fulfilled with who you are. And they're nuanced things, but they really make a difference in the quality of our lives. Sometimes growth is it happens because we're comparing ourselves to other people. I suggest you don't do that. I suggest you look at what's my lane. What is it that I'm committed to and not worry about what everybody else is doing. You want real happiness? Look in the mirror. It starts with you. If you're looking out there all the time, then you're trying and striving and I've got to get somewhere. Well, how about you don't? What if you start exactly where you are? and find contentment and satisfaction and fulfillment in that. Yeah, no, they're, they're so amazing points. And one, one thing someone told me one time was, um, you know, you need to stop and smell the roses as well um, <clears throat> along the path. Um, and that, that was something that was a, <clears throat> a, a downside to me is that I was always sort of pushing and, um, you know, with an entrepreneur, it's like, <clears throat> you've got to think in the future, right? <clears throat> About, what's going to happen. You need to be many steps ahead, but at the same time, there needs to be times where you're thinking in the present moment, because in, in life, there's a lot of magic 
in the present moment. And it, it depends during the day, there's a lot of things going on, but it, it, it's not also in your business. It also can be in your actual life, right? Outside of business, when you're talking about your loved ones and your family and, and things like that, um, where you have to be able to um, be present to, you know, to, to connect um, and that, and, and even connect, you know, so you've got that family aspect, um, but then also if you're having meetings with people, right, in, in whatever context, you know, you, you're catching up, whether it's business, you know, personal pleasure, whatever, or, um, or professional, is that actually listening to them, actually wanting to connect and not just thinking about what, what you know, what else is going on. And that was a big realization for me um, and, and something that's, that's helped me to connect more with people and, and, and people can feel that, right? Like, you know, we all have an energy about ourselves. We all have like an aura, um, you know, like you've probably heard <clears throat> the aura of authenticity um, where yeah. it's, um, you know, that, that element there is, is, you know, a lot of people don't think that um, they, they don't focus on it or they don't think about it, but people feel that um, people feel you, um, before whatever, anything comes out of your mouth, um, like that. And, you know, and that, that's, that can even be over a zoom, you know, like, like we're doing now, um, obviously it's even more in person. Um, but, um, you know, it's really powerful, um, when we do those things. Yeah. A thousand percent. And you touched on, you know, I am a mom and, and there are, there are challenges with running a company and, you know, being a parent. Um, last, two weeks ago was the first time I took my eldest to university. And I was so unprepared for all of the emotional response that I would have. No, like my girlfriends would warn me and they would tell me, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. That's for you. That's not for me. And I would brush it away. Be like, I'll be fine. He's good. I was a basket case. I was a crushed up, messy panic attack. I'd never had one before. Just feeling all the feels. And it's this moment where you take this beautiful human who was yours and you let go. And if you want to be powerful in life, you have to feel all of those experiences. You can't pretend them away. And it was soul crushing. I'm not going to lie. It hurts. It hurts a lot. I can't wait to see him this week. I get to see him for the first time on Thursday. But it's been an adjustment. And if I had tried to pretend it was any other way, pretend I'm, I'm fine, it really would be very incongruent with my brand. It would have been, you know, people would be like, you're not fine. You're, you're a messed up mess. You're a hot mess. And you're trying to pretend you're fine. Like I cried on coaching calls. I cried on a podcast. I'm like, oh my gosh, my baby. And it's, it, but this is the human experience. And I think sometimes we try to shove down or shut down our emotional responses, but your emotional response is really the core of your essence. It's the core of who we're being. And cherish them. And sometimes they suck. Feeling all the feels, it sucks sometimes. But there's good and there's bad in that. And if you can tap into it, I think that's where the growth really happens for people and where the real transformation is available in any leadership, in any business, it's really having the human experience when you're having it. Yeah, now that's, that's so amazing. And yeah, I really, um, you know, feel for you because um, I, I think it's, it's a little bit different in the US, but like they actually go away, I know, and they, they're, they're actually out um, and everything like that from where you are. So that, that's a big 
moment in a parent's life. And, and I, I love the points that you said, and especially like when we talk about this, these, these emotions and things like that, because in, in business, um, you know, it's a bit of a dance, so to speak with it, because when you're like negotiating and things like that, you need to take the emotion out of it. Right. Because, um, that, that can cloud your judgment in terms of like, you know, if you look at a simple example that everyone can um, relate to is like property. If you like really like this house and you're like, I want to buy it. And then, um, you know, you're at an auction and then it's going over the amount that, you know, you can technically get from the bank and you're trying to see, can I get the money? And then it may not be a good investment or, you know, you're spending over odds, but you're letting your emotion take over um, from making the proper decision. And, and that's a simple example, um, you know, Let's push that. Yeah. Have you ever negotiated with someone who's in tears? Um, have I negotiated with someone that's in tears? No. Right. It doesn't go well for the person not in tears. Hmm. Have you ever negotiated with someone who's angry? Um, yeah, to some extent, if you push the buttons a bit, yeah. Right. So if depending on your personal style, if you're negotiating against an emotion, that's sometimes done intentionally. Because the person who is in the negotiation is trying to win a point. They don't care about what it is that the tears are about. They want something else. It can be a very strategic negotiation tactic to own those emotions and display them. People don't know what to do with it. So yeah. they'll run or they'll try to fix it and they'll cave and they'll give in. It's like, okay, I made him mad. I don't want to lose the deal. Oh, what do we do to fix it? They respond in kind with an emotion whatever that emotion is. So emotional negotiations happen all the time. We're just not conscious to it. Mm, that's very interesting. And, um, and, and it sort of um, reiterates on the point that I was saying is all right, that when not only is it our emotions that we need to take out, but it's about when other people are being emotional, not to buy in to the emotion yeah, as well. Reacting. Yes, that's right. Which is, yeah. Very powerful. And, and, it, and it comes down, you know, that coupled with something you were talking about before that we're all, you know, structured differently, so to speak, in, in our makeup of how we work, right? You know, we all know about, you sort of got the left brain, right brain, you know, left brains, you know, the more logical people. And then um, you've got the, the right brain, more sort of emotional, creative um, type people as well. And yes, you may have traits from both, um, but some people normally have more than the others and not trying to... Um, distinguish between males and females but you know there's also a distinct difference there um i think with um females in terms of you know i think males and females will probably never understand each other um we're, we're all very different not 100 percent anyway in terms of um differently made up um but there's a there's a different element of um those emotional connections to how people are um and I, I, i'll give you um you know someone normally partners are probably opposites as well right so in a relationship where you have this element so someone will be more of an emotional person and the other one more logical person in that one so it's an interesting dynamic um of um you know are you showing enough emotion to that but that's the way that you are um and then how do you like um you know how do you try and understand it from that person's angle um and then, and I think that it's really important. I think this is where, um, you know, partner, it doesn't have to be necessarily your actual partner in life if you don't have one, but it could even be other people in your life, whether it's family members or other people close to you. 
yeah, um, what, whatever that is, is that when you understand that people are different uh, and you try and understand it from their point of view, this, you know, this is what I do, is that it makes me see how other people think. And then that helps me to connect more with people, whether or not it's in a personal sense or whether or not it's in a business sense, because um, whether or not we're more emotional than not, yes, we all get emotions from time to time and we have to put them aside for, so to speak, but you also have to be able to turn them on, so to speak. So it's a bit of a interesting situation there. Um, and I think putting ourselves in those situations and being curious is probably the best word of how people are, then that really helps us to, to connect and, and, you know, make it like a, you know, win-win situations in, in whatever we're doing as well. Well, and I think you've, you've touched on so many amazing points, but if you're talking about business specifically and partnerships, often people will gravitate towards people who have a similar vision and who operate at the same level as them. But when you really look at what partnerships are kind of the most sustainable, it's people who are opposite. So it's not opposites attract, it's they complement the way that each other thinks in a way that things get done. If you have too many visionaries in a company, what happens to the company? Nothing gets done. If you have too many you know, technical people who just want to work on solving technical issues, what happens to the company? Nothing actually gets off the ground. So you really want to have dynamic situations in all partnerships, whether it's just one or two people or five or six partners in the business that complement each other and provide something of value from a perspective that the other partners can benefit from. So it's really about expanding perception and perspective as opposed to shutting it down. I'm right, you're wrong. If you look at some of you know, the partners, partnerships that um, have publicly exploded, it's because no, there's no alignment. So there's the difference between we can be different and aligned. We don't have to think the same as long as we're aligned with what we're up for and where we're going. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I love how you brought that in and um, how the different business owners are. Like you said, it's like, um, you know, Steve Jobs and, um, you know, Wozniak, um, where, you know, one was the more visionary, one was the more technical person. Um, it happens a lot in businesses. And um, yeah, don't just don't just make partners because you get along with each other and, and you think, you know, we're the same because, yeah, that's, um, that can always have, have challenges. And, and it's also, um, you know, I think as, a, as business owners, we need to understand all of these different areas, you know, to some extent, but then it's like, okay, this is an area that I'm not so good in. So I'm going to like get somebody in that is an expert or something in this area. So then that way we can really maximize that area there. And then I can focus on the areas that I'm the most good at. Yes. I think we need to work on our weaknesses. Don't get me wrong. Um, at the same time, because they're the things that, that hold us back, but, um, it's about, yeah, getting the right people in as well. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, I guess finally, what, what's one, you know, key piece of advice um, you would give, you know, to all the entrepreneurs listening today? Oh, it's so different than what I would have said six months ago. So I think the biggest thing for an entrepreneur is just hold on. This too shall pass. And there are no rules. So the opportunity in front of us is massive because there are no rules and there are a lot of problems. So what problem can you solve? today. It may not be the forever problem that your business solves, but you, whatever problems you can solve right now in your business, go solve those and hang on. 
because it's going to get bumpy. It's going to get messy. And, you know, it's one of those things. And I, I say this to my clients all the time is it's going to be like a roller coaster ride. You keep your hands and your feet inside the ride until it comes to a complete stop. And you don't know when that will be. So it's really just be ready and hang on. Yeah, I love that so much. Um, awesome points there. So, you know, we met through our networks and have a mutual coach and, you know, you have huge amounts of uh, experience and a wealth of knowledge, um, you know, to transform businesses to the next level. And, you know, I'm very grateful uh, that we connected and, you know, I look forward um, to working with you in the future as well, um, Christine. And it's super exciting. And I'm, I'm really grateful that you reached out and asked me to, uh, to connect with you. It's, uh, it's really amazing. Yeah, definitely. And, and so, you know, thank you very much for your time today, Christine. I'm sure many people have greatly benefited from your valuable wisdom. So um, how can people find you and get in contact with you? So you can reach me on Instagram at Coach C Official. You can reach me on LinkedIn at Christine Nielsen, and it's spelled the Danish way, N-I-E-L-S-E-N. Uh, you can also find me on my company, which is Contrast Results Group. And uh, yeah, check out our latest, uh, you know, Brain Tap Coach, which will be is recently launched, and it's on all of our social media platforms. We're on Instagram, um, Facebook, LinkedIn. We're we're not on TikTok. Okay, I'm just saying that right now. We're not there. I do have a TikTok account, but we're not there. And YouTube. You can also find us on YouTube. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, thank you everyone for watching and listening to this show where we talk about everything on business growth. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram as Aiton Cassiotis or visit my website, AithanCassiotis.com. I completely agree with you or do I? The only way you know is if you tune in next time. Until next time, remember that our business grows when we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. Have a great day.